Gospel, the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 27th chapter. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with this righteous man, for that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed on his right hand, in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, 
Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs were also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James, and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered, to, ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which had been cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary was there, sitting opposite the tomb. Next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that impostor said, while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as, as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, peace, and mercy be upon you on this Palm Sunday. Through God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for, to you for this day and for all the people who are here to hear your word and hear your account of your entrance into Jerusalem before you died for us. So bless us this day. Help us to hear and take in all the promises you give to us. In your name we pray, amen. This is our king. Boy, must have been very dramatic that day in Jerusalem when Jesus arrived on the colt or the donkey. Needless to say, things would get very dramatic as Jesus approaches and enters Jerusalem for the main event in the history of the world. I'm going to need these today. Don't like it. But I'm going to read to you this account again, a little bit of it, from Beck's translation of the New Testament. The gospel reading that you heard at the beginning of the procession of palms is not one that we normally hear. It's from Luke. And if you noticed, the people are not waving palm branches in this account from Luke. They, all they do is they simply throw their, their clothes, their tunics or shirts or whatever, in, on the path 
as Jesus is going into Jerusalem. And, uh, but we know that they, were all, they did also have palms. But Luke just doesn't mention that part, which is interesting. But we don't, I figured, man, let's, let's hear something a little different today. A little, quite, just a slightly different take on the triumphal entry than we hear from Matthew, Mark, and John. And here's how it goes. When he came near Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, now that's just a little bit east of Jerusalem. These two little villages are just a couple of miles east of Jerusalem. As it was called, he sent two of his disciples, Go into the village ahead of you, he said, and as you go in, you'll find a colt tied up that no one has ever sat on. Untie it and bring it to me. And if anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. The men who sent the, the men whom he sent went and found it, just as he had told them. While they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? The Lord needs it, they said, just as they had predicted, right? So they brought it to Jesus, put their garments on the colt, and set Jesus on it. As he was riding along, people spread their garments on the road. And as he was coming near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, goes down the Mount of Olives, then you go back up into Jerusalem. It's just a small little valley between the two hills. And the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully and loudly for all the miracles they had seen. Now we have to remember that we're not talking about just the 12 disciples here. There's the 12, and then there's how many more after that? You remember the number? At least 77 more. And there's probably even more after that in kind of an outer circle. They said, uh, blessed is the king who is coming in the Lord's name. In heaven, peace and glory in the highest heavens. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, urge your disciples to be quiet. Interesting that, they, that the Pharisees, you know, Jesus' enemy, acknowledged Jesus as a teacher. Huh? Teacher, Urge your disciples to shut up. <laughs> I tell you, he answered them, if these people are quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, where does that come from? I thought it might be an Old Testament reference somewhere to one of the Psalms or something, maybe. Couldn't find it. So, if you give me a six-month sabbatical, maybe I can research the entire scriptures and find where this comes from. But I couldn't find it in any commentary. So perhaps this is not a quote from the Old Testament, as it sounds like Jesus is saying, if these guys, if I make these guys shut up, the very stones will cry out. In other words, the creation itself is crying out for salvation because the kingdom of God is here. Things are happening. Very dramatic. So I tell you, if these are quiet, the stones will cry out. When he came near and saw the city... Now, this is another interesting difference with Luke's account of the triumphal entry. He doesn't describe Jesus actually going into the city. He stops short of Jesus approaching it. Uh, when he came near and saw the city, he wept over it and said to the city, Jerusalem, if today you only knew, yes, you, the way to peace, but now it's hidden so that you can't see it. The time will come for you when your enemies will put up ramparts against you and surround you and press against you from every side. 
They'll dash you and your children to the ground and not leave one stone on another in you because you didn't know the time that your help came to you. Jerusalem. Jesus is predicting the destruction that will happen in about 30 years or so. Some scholars and critics of the Bible, because they believe supernatural events are impossible, they say that Luke wrote this after the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. and made it sound like Jesus predicted it. If that were the case, the prediction that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey would also be written after the fact. Critics say the Bible is full of contradictions. Not true. What the Bible is full of is predictions. True ones. The supernatural happens. To be a Christian means you believe in supernatural occurrences. In the creed, right? I believe in all things visible and invisible. Zechariah, the prophet, predicted that Jesus would ride in on a donkey in a gentle, that he would be gentle as he rode in. Zechariah's prediction, however, doesn't include what the Messiah would be like after entering the city. Jesus would turn from being gentle to abrupt. In his righteous anger, he drives out the money makers in the temple selling worship gear, you know, stuff to offer as a sacrifice in the temple and swag, (laughs) souvenirs and stuff. He does all this in preparation for his arrest and death. And within these five days of entering Jerusalem and dying on the cross, he'll leave the city and go back in, leave it, go back. He goes, he has friends that he stays with in Bethpage and Bethany. He'll go in and out, spend time in the temple. He'll spend time in the streets of Jerusalem, the courts, a few people's houses, the upper room, the chief priest's headquarters, Pilate's headquarters, and jail. All these places you can still see today. Palm Sunday starts in Jericho, however, many miles downhill from Jerusalem. Jericho is from where Jesus goes on ahead, as Luke says, upwards to the place he will die and be buried. You can see Jericho today, too. That famous city where God toppled the fortified walls of the Philistines. But you can't do much in it. Jericho today is controlled by the Palestinians. Our friend, Yoel ben David, an Israeli citizen, he can't even go into the city. It's not allowed. Now, there are some Christians living in Jericho, but most who live there now put their trust in a God in whom there is no life and no salvation. Then there's Jerusalem, controlled by Jews, Muslims, and Christians. Each group wants Jerusalem for themselves. But Jesus is not looking for a city to control or own for himself. Not then, not now. He's looking for people who will trust in him for life and have it for eternity. He's not looking for religious people. He's looking for people who will love him and will learn from him and follow him. 
as he loves them. Jesus wept over Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And perhaps today. What a distraught place it is. But wouldn't Jesus weep over our cities too? Our, or cities everywhere for that matter. Everywhere there's sin. Portland, Sherwood, San Francisco, Nashville, Kiev. Hatred, violence, and murder are just plain all around people treating people badly. Well, that even happens in your home and mine. Would Jesus weep over your home or would he rejoice over it? guess it depends on what's going on inside it. Perhaps it was the same in Jerusalem on that day of palms and hosannas. Jesus would rejoice at the people's welcome reception of him, but a while later he would weep and then be angry. That makes Palm Sunday a bit of a schizophrenic celebration, doesn't it? <laughs> or a, a, a paradoxical one, yeah? Celebration takes a 180-degree turn and into disaster. On the first day of Holy Week, we must exist on both sides of the spectrum. Today's celebration with palms of victory is fleeting because in a few days our king will be rejected, arrested, accused, beaten, humiliated, tortured, killed, and buried. But we will hear about all that again and meditate on it with hope, not despair. Hope in our redemption from the bad way we've treated people and ourselves and our God. Hope made possible by the death that atoned for our sin. Hope in our deliverance from disease. The body shutting down and quitting on us. Hope in our deliverance from wars and riots and evil people on a path for our destruction. All this and more we hope for on this day with palm branches in our hands that mean Jesus won the victory over sin, death, and the devil for you. So enjoy this day because it's going to get darker this week before it gets bright again this coming Sunday. Don't skip over it and go right to Easter now if you can help it. Don't be afraid to face the sin and punishment Jesus took upon you and placed on his shoulders. You don't have to bear the full consequence of sin. He did that for you. So follow him once again on those streets of Jerusalem that lead to the place of the skull, the tomb. You might even want to keep those palm branches today with this entire week. Hold on to them and remember, victory is coming. Victory is here. Victory is yours because of our King. Amen.